On a dark, muddy roadway outside Mumbai in India, a beautiful girl in a sari runs shouting and clapping past a line of trucks. Tulsi is a hijra, one of India's eunuch community. And like many other hijras, she works as a prostitute. She had sex right from the age of five, six years uh, with her uncle. And then up to nine years, she was having sex with uncle. Later also, she started having sex with other boys. And then uh, by the age of 13, uh, she realized uh, she's a hijra and then uh, started continuing uh, uh, having sex with other boys uh, and then ultimately joined uh, the hijra community. Hijra community are India's third sex. They are neither male nor female. There is thought to be 1.3 million of them in India. They were the guards of the royal court during the Mughal period, spanning from the 16th to the 19th centuries. And their history goes back thousands of years in mythology and religious texts. Uh, in the beginning, uh, for a year, she was only dancing and then begging. Um, but after, I think, about three years, she started you know, doing sex work and then earning money through that also. The hijras are traditionally castrated men. They refer to their gender as neither male or female, but hijra. They dress as women, they take female names, they call themselves she and they make themselves heard wherever they go. Shankar does aid work with the hijras in this area. What's happening? She's calling customers or uh, calling some of her other, you know, other girls who are uh, in the same you know, business out here. And could you explain to me what the other significance that the trapping has? It's basically to uh, uh, attract attention, you know, and then make their presence felt around. Everywhere they go, you know, they keep on clapping constantly so that people look at them and then give attention and then attend to them. From uh, the age she started wearing sari, uh, she's not with uh, her parents anymore. She stays alone on her own with, with in the community. I don't talk to No, she's away from them. She's not in touch with them. Uh, even they don't talk to her, she doesn't talk to them. They are well-off family. The parents are well-off. Uh, she wanted freedom. That's how she got out of the house and she's living on her own. She lives with uh, other hijdas. Uh, she works for uh, uh, no, her other hijdas and for her own interests. I ran with Tulsi up the highway as she went from truck to truck demanding money from the drivers. It's one rupee. How much? One rupee. Uh, a trucker, and you know, he stops by, and then you know, he sees a koti or a hijda, and then he knows that they all do sex work, and then he goes, and then you know, uh, it, ha- it all happens in five minutes, and then he's back in the truck, and then that's how 
sex work happen, uh, happens out on the roads. And how many clients would they be getting per night? We have been hearing is uh, definitely uh, no, some talk about no, 8 to 10 clients per day. Uh, but definitely more than 4 or 5 is there. From each client, the kind of money they earn from each client is not much. It starts, I think, uh, for what we have been hearing is like oral sex uh, is uh, 10, 20 rupees. And uh, you know, anal sex will not be more than 50 rupees, I think, uh, each intercourse. 50 rupees is only one euro. It wasn't long before dodging in between trucks on a pitch black road became a bit too much for me. The Mughal period was the last golden age of the Hijra and the guards of the royal court were to be thrown onto the streets. Ashok Rokavi is a gay activist who works with the Hijra community. They were very, very well marginalised by the British. You know, they were, they were very powerful during the Mughal and the, the old feudal days when they were in charge of harems, and when they were in charge of treasuries close to royalty. And suddenly the British had these laws where they couldn't adopt, they couldn't uh, uh, open bank accounts, they couldn't own property. So they were really thrown on the streets. But their clannishness, you know, the strong networks, helped them come through. So they reinvented themselves from the streets. Anjali Gopalan is from the NAS Foundation, a HIV support service. There is a very strong hierarchical family. You have uh, the guru who is like the head of the family. And then you have what are known as chelas, which are other members of the family, and they, they are supposed to have undying allegiance to the guru. They're the ones who take care of the guru, and all the earnings are given to the guru, and the guru pretty much runs the family. And, and to that extent, I think it's a very strong unit. They really do take care of each other. I called to visit Kajal, a guru in South Delhi in her attic flat, where a monkey, a family of mongoose, a German shepherd, chickens, minor birds and pigeons were all part of the family. What are these? Minor birds. Oh, and these are parrots. It's a big one. It's a guru. Guru provides for everything for the rest of the group, including um, food, clothes, groceries. Guru takes care of the rest of the group and the group pays them respect by saluting when they see them and by touching their feet when they get into the dancing mode. Their visibility and strong family unit is part of the Hijra's secret of survival. In other countries, people who have to deal with gender issues find themselves alone. I met with Anya, an Irish male-to-female transsexual living in Mumbai. I would have grown up in a small rural village in Ireland and I would have known from a um, very young age that I was not a boy. That was all that I knew and it, it took a number of years to actually realise that there was anybody else on this planet who was experiencing that. When I was absolutely clear what I was going to go through and I had actually started the process, I then met with uh, my family, told them 
and it became clear it was heartbreaking for them. So um, I agreed not to return to the village. So I haven't been back since, oh God, it would be about 1990. It may seem that a transsexual and a hijra are similar, but there's no mistaking the masculinity of a hijra, even with all their jangly gold and flowing saris. We know from our experience that the uh, majority of the hijras we know are castrated males. And even in the hijra community today, we are finding a large number of men who take on the hijra attire, language, lifestyle, all of that, but are not castrated. And within these, the hijra community, within the ones who are castrated and the ones who are not, also there is a lot of problems because the castrated hijras consider themselves to be true hijras. They're called the Nirvan hijras. Then you have what are known as the Aqua hijras. The Aquas are the ones who are not castrated. And there is a lot of uh, rivalry between the two communities because the uh, Nirvans feel that the Aquas are taking their space. Back on that dark roadway outside Mumbai, I was about to see what a true castrated hijra looks like. Where are we going? Uh, see, want to show you the place. Okay. Yeah, uh, the place. Oh, so yeah. Okay, huh. okay. Nirvan. Nirvan. What? Uh, Nirvan means uh, they cut off the penis. Who cut it for you? Uh, dai, not doctor. Dai. What is Dai? Dai is their guru. And when did Dai cut this for you? Uh, uh, dai apko ye karti hai? Hamko rat ke tempe ko ne? Rat ko? In midnight. Uh, they arrange some ceremony and then they cut it. Was she conscious while this happened? Ha, she is conscious. Chaku? Ha. Uh, by a knife, they cut it. Dhage se juda bante. Phir pani pila ke usko kaat dete. They bind some thread and they cut with knife. Do you have any memory of the pain? I don't have She done it in very, uh, when she was very little. How old you? Eight, eight years. When she done it, uh, her age uh, near about eight years. Eight years? Eight years. In eight years, uh, she done this. When, yeah. she, when she was eight years old? Yeah, eight years old. The person is made to imbibe drugs, and, and this could be, you know, it could be our fame and charas and those kind of drugs. So that they're very high, and then the whole body is rubbed down with turmeric powder, oil, and sindoor, and, you know, the red powder that is used on the forehead. I mean, they're literally knocked out because of the drugs. The scrotum is cut. You see, obviously, the urethral opening is there, right? So they will insert like a piece of a twig from the neem tree uh, to keep it open. So you have the entire guru and his family over there and her family over there when they do the castration ceremony. It's a huge event. You know, they have a huge party and that kind of stuff. <laughs> No, they don't go to doctors. They, uh, they, they go, they adopt the traditional methods of uh, mustard oil and boiling water. And it's fine with that itself. They don't, they don't go to doctors. 
Alok Gupta is a gay activist. There's a law in the Indian Penal Court which makes emasculation an offence, even if it's done voluntarily. And a lot of doctors are aware of it, and a lot of doctors are not comfortable performing castration properly or in a recognized, registered sort of way. So what's happening, there's a whole black market of this evolving. So a lot of doctors in small, small little dispensaries and surgeries, they're doing it because there's such a large demand for it from the hijra community, are doing it in a very clandestine way. So there have been cases of like, uh, these guys get the hijras to sign uh, a consent form saying, I'm getting castrated because I have a testicular cancer. My problem with that is that it reduces your access both to quality and accountability. Uh, but the traditional way of doing it, uh, a lot of people die in it. Uh, because what happens is once you cut off the penis, the urethral opening has is actually kept dilated for sometimes as long as a period of a year. Otherwise it would close, like pretty much your ear hole, right? Mm -hmm. So infections, especially urinary tract infections, are common. But if the hijra are not all castrated, then arguably they are the same as the koti. The koti can be described as a male who takes the role of a female in sex with other men and, like the hijra, has a female heart. But unlike the hijra, they often dress as men. I met Godowry, who tried to explain. I identify myself as a koti. My pet name in the community is Godowry. Kotis like to sacrifice. Kotis always want to give, they don't want to take. Kotis want to give love, they don't want to take. They are so caring. Wife may not care for their husband so much. You see Kotis caring so much. No? Going, washing, cleaning, cooking, taking care of his health, his body, his dress and what not. So I sometimes feel so Kotis are perfect wife. Every man. <laughs> Puzzled by all these groups so different from the West, I asked Anya how she dealt with the Indian experience. It was fantastic for me because first and foremost, I, I always had a difficulty with self-definition. So when I came here, I, I found India to be the queerest place on this planet, you know. Even though there is rigidity in caste and there is rigidity in socioeconomic uh, communities, when you come near the, I suppose, gay community in India, all of these categories break down and very, very different uh, relationships around butch and femme, uh, very much. All definitions, all uh, boundaries were turned upside down for me. But I think this, this whole hijra space is very unique space. I don't see it in any other part of the world. Yeah, because I think it gives space to a lot of uh, men who may be homosexual or feel truly trapped in the wrong body, a lot of individuals. Mm -hmm. And uh, it gives them that space to express themselves. Uh, and yes, it has its problems. And yes, it is at some level feared and looked down upon. But at least that space is there. This is something that's been there traditionally, so I don't really know what the underlying reasons for something like this to happen. But I would assume for a lot of, for example, you know, the more feminized gay man doesn't have space in this culture, right? So here was a space that they could safely access and take on this different, whatever they wanted to be. And in this case, it may be that many of them truly felt that they were women. Would they have sex change operations if they could afford it and if it was a possibility. I'm sure some of them would, some of them may not want. 
So it's very difficult to make a blanket statement. The Hijra community was the thing that fascinated me most when I actually uh, came here. And I had to get very clear about where they fitted in. So the very fact that they were transgressors of gender and totally addressing the taboo between uh, the polaric opposites of male and female, that didn't necessarily in their identity determine what their actual self-identification of sexuality was. So very often if you were to ask a, a hijra, you know, are you a man or a woman, they would say, I'm a hijra. But if you were to ask them, you know, are you gay, like they they, they just don't, they, uh, sexuality or uh, labels of sexuality do not come into uh, their uh, sphere, that their dominant identity is around this third space of gender rather than what they uh, perceive to be their sexual expression. The Hijra community really is a unique space within Indian society and it has been given legitimacy by the fact that in the Ramayana, Rama gave them the power to confer blessings on auspicious occasions like childbirth and marriage. And you can be guaranteed, wherever there's an occasion in India, there is a Hijra. Can you tell me where we're going? Now we're going for a badhai ceremony, where they go for marriage ceremonies and ask for uh, some money as and they give blessings and then after a couple of years after marriage they also go if the baby is born. So we're going for one such ceremony at the moment. When they go to the gully, when they go to the lane there, they will find out uh, if, they, if, if there's a marriage happening in that area or if, they, if there's a newborn baby there. And then they'll go to the house. What she's saying is when they ring the bell, uh, people and they see all of them, they'll open the door and they'll greet them. And uh, it will be uh, it will be sort of an exchange of blessings with money. The amount varies depending on the type of the family and the status of the family. Do you enjoy what you do? They do enjoy what they do, but they also say that you know, there is nothing else to do. No one's going to give them any job, any money for any other work. Pooja Sharma is part of Kajal's group. And on a sweltering summer morning, she and her dozen hijras took me to a slum south of Delhi, where they called to all the houses looking for newlyweds and babies to bless. There has been a marriage in this house, but the mother-in-law is not here. It's only daughter-in-law, so she's agreed to leave because uh, the elders are not there in the house, so we'll go somewhere else. A baby is found, but unfortunately, not everyone agrees on how much a blessing is worth. Kajal is looking for 500 rupees, which is 10 euro.
There has been a baby daughter in this house, and they're asking for badhai, and she's still refusing. But uh, but it'll happen now. But they'll start singing soon. मैं आज 40 साल से बधाई मांग रही हूँ जजवान हंसते खेलते मुझे देते हैं She's saying that she started off 40 years ago asking for बधाई She's not rich and but she she's very happy here She says what's the point of being rich and not not being a true person So she's very happy लड़की के दिल जड़ा के दिल अलग अलग नहीं दो एक ही है if it's a son, if it's a boy, baby boy, then they take 1100. But if it's a baby girl, they take only 500 because they say uh, girls are less deprived as they grow up. So they'll take less money for the girl and they understand what a girl's heart is because that is what they have essentially. She's saying it's the, it's the, there are already many daughters in the family and this is the third uh, child of the house so they really don't have more money than 150 rupees but uh, they're still haggling, they're still asking for more money. Let's see what happens, they're trying to negotiate now, negotiations, negotiations are happening. Let's see what happens now, it has come to 150 rupees. In the society, every time there was a birth and any good occasion, wedding or a new child is born, Hijaz would always figure out from neighbors or from somebody that this will happen, they'll come and you'll give them some money or blessings because you have to. Now, you would think that you're doing that to get their blessings, but actually, you're doing it to avoid their curse. Give them money because if they curse you, you're screwed. No wonder with the threat of a curse that Kajul got her way and got 250 rupees or 5 euro. Yeah, they've got the money and they've got 250 rupees for the for the Badai celebration. Now the lori will happen. They'll take the kid and they'll sing a lullaby for the baby boy. Giving the traditional bathai doesn't always have a happy ending. Some of the uh, people who call when they go to ask for bathai, they call the police and sometimes they have problems with the police, but they try to convince them by saying that it's their only means of livelihood, so they shouldn't stop them. Police trouble them, they don't uh, let them uh, walk around the streets uh, because of his dance and uh, they don't allow them to do sex work on the streets and sometimes they take them along with them and then do sex with them and they don't pay them. No, these are some of the major problems they have with police. See, there's a law called the Immoral Traffic Prohibition Act. It's a law that is supposed to prohibit trafficking of women and children. But one of the provisions of the law says that soliciting is also an offence. So it does not make sex work by itself an offence, but it does make soliciting an offence. 
the impact of the law is that uh, it gives police the license to go and harass and catch hijras and sex workers. I mean, the use of the term immoral, I mean, that just explains it. You know, it's an immoral activity. The police are the moral police. I was forced to sleep with policemen. And then the same person saying that, oh, he is homosexual and then um, um, calling uh, people and telling about it, taking me to police station. This, these things happen. You know? The person himself comes, he want to have sex, he has sex, talks so sweet, and then after your sexual act is finished, then demanding. You know, nah, I'm a policeman, nah, I'm a gunda. What else can I give you and what else you can do me? Let us go to the police station. So it doesn't, I know the strategy now. For most of the uh, MSM, non-identified gay men, I'm talking of the Kothis and mm. the other identities, rape is very common thing. When a person newly enters, this period, very new period, is very dangerous for this person. Many Kothis have gone into this. Rape is very common with Kothis. Because of their behavior, they are picked up with, by the boys. They take and then there are 10, 15 people. And that, that's the initial. And that gives you experience. Even I have gone through. I was very young. I was hardly 12 or 13 years. I was raped by 14 people. But that was an enriching experience for me. That pain has made me more strong, I will say. Whom I am going to go and tell? At the age of 13, will I go and tell my father? Or will I go to the police station and say? Then police station will say, oh, section 377 ka case hai. Extract money from my parents. And then my parents will say, oh, because of you, we have landed into this. The hijra sex worker called Kokila. It's a very brutal story. She was picked up by these four men, taken to some corner, brutally raped and abused. While this was going on, two policemen came in a jeep and saw this. So I think it was five or six guys, not just four. So most of the guys ran away, but one or two were still left. But the police, along with these two other guys, instead of trying to help her, started abusing the hijra, then started beating, beating her up. And then they took her to the police station, they locked her up in the locker, they tied her up. And then they physically and sexually abused her for three or four hours. And then they took her, it didn't end there, they took her to some hammams. They called some hijras out, in front of all the hijras they beat her up. Then they took her to some hijra activist called, there's another hijra activist called Chandani. They took her to her house. They called her out. They ransacked her house, beat Chandni up also. It was this real, like, sort of macho police revenge, you know, and they were at it. And it went on through the night, and finally she was let alone. But no action has yet been taken. And what's really interesting is they've been going on a hunger strike. On the, the most prominent street in Bangalore called the Mahatma Gandhi Road, there's a very prominent statue of Mahatma Gandhi himself. And it's a site of protest in Bangalore for years on various human rights issues. And they've launched, they've, start, they've started a hunger strike there. Every day, five people go on a fast. Till the, the uh, police takes some action against the police officers. I travelled with Hanif, a sex worker, to a truck stop outside Mumbra, where the hijras frequently sell sex to truckers. But the roadside was eerily quiet when we got there. Okay, we have arrived all the way out here and there doesn't seem to be anybody here. Where is everybody tonight? This uh, two to three days very big problem, police problem and uh, fighter man problem. Is Ijra is not coming this place after two, three days. What did the police do? Uh, police is, uh, this side is not a sex site. Arresting and uh, fight police and... Uh, two to th three days. Yeah. Come new. Come back. Come back. Come two to th three days. I, it's power. The poor, the weaker person is the easiest target. 
And I think it does just fall into that category. There's definitely an extra element of what is causing this police interest in the hijras. This whole sort of larger thing of the hijras are looked at these perverted people, these sort of unnatural, perverted, twisted, like, you know, sort of physically deformed, sexually deformed kind of people. Like all the violent stories you'll hear around, around hijras, or the violence is very sexual. You'll see there's a lot of curiosity on, like, sexual organs or private parts. Like, you know, police will, like, strip them naked and want to see what you look like. And, uh, and a lot of cases are, of course, of, of rape. Police often end up committing the same crime. They're out to stop. There's no precedent of even launching a case against the police officer for what they've done. Because people are terrified. When I contacted the social services section of the police department of Mumbai regarding the repeated claims of police brutality, they refused an interview. The hijra are ill-treated not just by police but by society at large and misinformation is a big part of the problem. Gay rights activist Alok Gupta. I mean, let me break a few myths. Uh, a, most hijras are people with like sexually deformed or malformed sexual organs and uh, secondly, that hijras abduct young kids and castrate them. That's all crap. I mean, there's no, there's no documentation of that. I mean, hermaphrodites, which they refer to a very small percentage of people in the society in general in humanity. I mean, there may be homophobic hijras, but most hijras will tell you are very, very, they're very, very few. If somebody's growing up in a small town, who's effeminate, who identifies as cross-dresser, or, you know, who's, or who thinks of himself as a woman? I mean, there could be different layers of identification with that alternative gender or sexual identity. You know, it's not always the same, as we understand in the compartmentalized Western definitions of transsexual, transvestite, cross-dresser, effeminate gay man. But for a lot of these people, the only kind of body, or the only kind of culture that they could resemble themselves in is the hijab community. Of course you are. Yeah, yeah, I don't have to ask. Sylvie is Delhi's celebrity hairstylist. Oh, good, good, good. She identifies herself using the Western term drag queen. I am a drag queen. There's two ways about it. I've had silicone breasts. That's the only thing I've done. But otherwise, I've not had a sex change. I'm not really as transsexual, not at all. I'm a homosexual gay, whatever you want to call me. But you know, uh, down the road, this has never bothered me, being related to uh, a heterosexual, transsexual, homosexual, you know, bisexual, whatever. The word sexuality has never bothered me. I just did what I felt was right for my persona. And that bothered me more than anything else. Nothing's ever affected me, nothing. Nothing affects me, nothing surprises me. Nothing shocks me. And the people I hang out with are most comfortable with me. They're not at all uncomfortable. People who, when I walk into a most conservative party, which I'm always invited to, the not top-notch party, I walk in the way I want to walk in, very elegantly. I know my age, where to dress, where I know I'm a celebrity. I know the press catches me. So I, I dress according to the thing. There are snobs. In every society, there are snobs. But it doesn't bother me. I like them to laugh. It doesn't really matter. At least they have a smile on their face because of me. <laughs> Where do the hijra come into your view of Indian society? They don't treat them very well. Not me, particularly. They sit in my parlour and I have nothing against it. They come and have their eyebrows threaded and they want this and they want... And I smile it over and I laugh it over. It's OK with me because I know I've gone through parts of that life. People do believe in them because that's why people pay them very heavily when they go for a wedding, when they go for a childbirth, when they go for any auspicious thing that happens in the house, when they're opening up a salon. But people don't respect them. That's wrong. You see, partly to blame are they also. They misbehave also a lot. 
which people overlook. They pick up their skirts and show, they start doing not respectable things in front of everybody, in a family sitting around. And if you tell them, come later for the money, they'll pick up their skirt and show you, and they'll clap, and they'll, it's an insult to an Indian, you know, to pick up and show you, you know, it's not done, it's a conservative country. So partly they're to blame also, partly they are to blame. But where limitations go, they should get a bit more allowance into society, I think they should. However, despite the widespread negativity, Hijra candidates have begun winning local elections. And the festival, the Hijra Haba, has been a platform for them. And one of the most amazing things that they've started in Bangalore is, is what is called uh, the Hijra Haba, which is this Hijra festival. And they've been very good, like they've been getting all these movie stars, for example, Nandita Das, who acted in Fire, the film Fire. As a younger woman, she's, she came publicly and you know, she inaugurated. And she, the next time they got uh, the chief police commissioner of Bangalore, the city of Bangalore, to come and inaugurate. And the whole idea was to get the very people who've been sort of harassing and abusing them, to get them to come here and see what hijras are. Look at them respectfully, you know, they were almost forced to do that. And, uh, and he was forced to give a speech. <laughs> they made him give awards to hijras. He's been working very hard with the community. <laughs> I mean, the whole idea was to get him to like put him in a corner. And in the end, he said, uh, yes, you know, blah, 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 I respect your rights, and blah, 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 but you see, you should not go out and harass other people. In the West, we have become comfortable with our boxes of gay, straight, bisexual and transsexual. In India, it's all different and very confusing. In Ireland, I sought the advice of Rory O'Neill, better known as drag queen Miss Panty. We spoke about the Koti community, who we reckoned were closest in Western terms to camp gay men. I mean, it, I suspect that in Indian society, it's easier to say, or it's more acceptable to say, well, actually, I'm not gay, I'm a, I'm a woman, really, and I want to cook and clean for a man, because there are these very traditional structures, and people understand, oh, sort of a, a male character and a female character, and one sort of works around the house and does that, and... Koti or something, that's something that people will understand. Oh, he wants to play the female role. Really, he is female in some way. Whereas here, we have more or a different viewpoint on sexualities. And so we wouldn't necessarily see that. We would say, well, actually, you know, you're just a, you're just a gay guy. Brian Finnegan is from Ireland's Gay Community News. I have a woman's heart and I'd be quite maternal with my child and even though I'm his father I would have quite a maternal stroke paternal relationship with him and also have quite a maternal relationship with my partners you know and I suppose if I lived in a culture which kind of celebrate you could celebrate that maybe I'd that's what I'd be doing so I think everybody wants everyone else to fit into a label and most people want themselves to fit into a label and if you have the right label, well, good for you. If you are, you're totally gay or whatever, then you're lucky. But there are other people, lots of people, who the right label isn't available. And I think that's the same probably across all cultures. And it becomes most confusing when it's gender issues rather than just sexuality issues. You know, about you know, whether you feel you're female or male or a mixture of both, or sometimes you're more male or more female. You know, these things... They're confusing to people, and people don't like confusion. They like simplicity. They want you to be one thing or another. In India, the greatest challenge has yet to be overcome. HIV is slowly destroying the Hijra and Koti, and is thought to be as high as 80% within the Hijra community. The illegality of homosexuality in India has meant that HIV as a problem cannot be fully tackled. 
are you living with HIV? Yes. You are. Yes. Yeah. And I'm very open about it. You are. Yes. Because for the last nine, I think I've been competing in my nine years. I'll be entering into my tenth year, and I'm living happy with the virus for the last ten years, and I'm happy. And virus has changed my life because I'm taking care of myself. Earlier, like I was very careless. I was be I was being used emotionally by many men, but I know I choose now. Earlier, I was not having that option. Mm. And being a koti, you don't have any option. The deteriorating situation in the country has caused fury among the international community. Irish Senator David Norris spoke on the issue of HIV in the Indian Parliament. I addressed the subject in the main session and I said, this is crazy. This is what is happening in so many countries around the world where there is a real problem and you now have 5.1 million people infected in India. Uh, and the way to create a disaster and a time bomb is to stick it under the carpet, to deny it. You have to be honest about human sexuality. This is a disease, it is a global pandemic, it is increasing all the time, and the main thing is education and prevention. They have to face reality. They have to reform the law. They have to recognize human nature and human reality. Otherwise, they will have a continuing disaster on their hands and they will also continue to be bad neighbors. In the context of the tragedy of HIV, the traditional hijra death ritual takes on a more sinister meaning. When the hijra dies, they take the dead body from the back lane, in the middle of the night, and they spit on the body, they throw uh, shoes or, you know, they throw stones and all, when they're burying also, so that the hijra does not take birth again as a hijra. The next birth is he's not born as a hijra, because they think it was a big curse on them, that they, was, they were born as a hijra. In the Ramayana, the hijras were the chosen people of the god Rama. The place this has given them in society giving blessings has sustained them for thousands of years and allowed all forms of sexuality to exist in a conservative country. It remains to be seen how the hijra culture will adapt. She's saying that this group is their family. They laugh together, they fight, they cry, they, they share all kinds of emotions amongst themselves and they're very happy together. This is where she's been living and this is where she would die. It didn't fit. It was limiting and as soon as I went through the uh, transition I was more able to be myself in all circumstances and um, that made all the difference. There's nobody that doesn't have to handle some aspects of that. All I can say is my life has been so blessed. Having gone through this has given me a worldview and, and a breadth of a vision. Uh, so 
I think if there are certain changes in the way people view each other, maybe those changes will also trickle down to how hijras are viewed. But I think it takes two hands to clap, so it's not a one-way street. When I left Kajal and her hijras, they were still dancing out in the burning sun. It would be hours before they had earned enough money to go home. There were still many more blessings to give.